Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Last week, uh, Anthony uh, started into Acts 3, and he had this uh, miraculous healing of the lame man at the, uh, at the temple in verses 1 through 10. And, uh, and what you need to know is, is basically everything in Acts 3 and 4 it kind of unfolds over the period of, of uh, 24, 48 hours. It all flows together. You have the healing it flows into Peter's sermon, where we're going to be these next two weeks. And then in, in chapter 4, that night is the night Peter and John find themselves in prison. And then the, the events that unfold that in chapter 4. So uh, it's kind of a part of a long, extended um, narrative here, Acts 3 and 4. So it was a little challenging where to break it up at. But um, what we're going to do today is uh, about Thursday, I uh, decided this sermon needs to be split into two. Peter's sermon is just so much here. And to be honest with you, we're probably not even going to get through all of uh, uh, 11 through 16 today, which is okay because um, we have the luxury of of doing that and the themes are all going to flow together anyway. So we're just going to do whatever the Spirit leads us uh, through this morning and then pick up next week and finish this section. So... But uh, I want to go ahead and read this for you. Again, following up the healing of the lame man, I'm going to pick up in uh, the very last sentence of of verse 10, because this is a significant sentence that actually links us back to some other themes that Luke has already introduced us to in Acts, and I think you'll recognize the terminology. So the end of verse 10, chapter 3, and they were filled, they being the people in, in the temple that day, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to the lame man, to him. And while he... Referring to the lame man, while the lame man clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servants, 
sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So God, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for this message proclaimed by Peter in Solomon's portico so many years ago. The truth of who Jesus is. Preaching to people who had completely missed the point. They, 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 they didn't understand Jesus. They chose not to. They rejected him. They, they viewed Christ the wrong way. And God, we sit here today and oftentimes we do the same thing. Even those of us who've grown up in church world, we, we often just get Jesus wrong. We, we, we think wrongly about him. So God, I pray today as we, we, we start into this section and continue next week that, that we would just be reminded of who Christ is, that we would be challenged to respond appropriately to Jesus, the risen King, the one who you, God, vindicated, who's living and seated on the throne today, God. May we bow the knee to him. May we surrender our lives to him. We pray for your spirit to speak through your truth right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You ever been really wrong about somebody? Judged them wrongly? Um, misunderstood them? Drawn wrong conclusions about them? I have a lot. Uh, probably one of the uh, significant ones that came to my mind when I was thinking about this week was a guy I went to high school with. His name is Chad, Chad Johnson. And Chad uh, went to a rival uh, high school of ours, New England Christian Academy. That's where Chad went. And um, I, I couldn't stand him. I didn't like him. Uh, we we uh, always kind of ended up guarding each other on the basketball court, and we, he didn't like me either. And usually uh, we weren't afraid to foul each other hard. And uh, I remember one game in particular. I mean, I walked off the court, and my white home jersey had blood. It was back in the day where you could still play with blood on your uniforms, and it, it looked better, you know. And, uh, and the other thing I didn't like about Chad, he kind of had this Tom Brady thing going on. He it just was a a, a good-looking guy, and like, you know, even the girls in our school were like, "Oh man, that guy!" And you're like, "Shut up! He's from New." You're like, "You can't say that about him," you know. And and like his hair was perfect. I mean, he would and he played hard, but the game would end and his hair looked just like it did when he came out. I mean, just I'm like, "You concrete in there?" And I, I couldn't stand him. I could not stand him. I'll never forget the. I literally remember this. We're sitting in the cafeteria at school, and one of my coaches came up. He goes, "Hey, did you guys hear the news?" Chad, uh, Chad Johnson from New England Christian is transferring uh, here next year. And I'm like, nope, nope, nope. And, uh, and we're all like, man, no, he's not. You know, he, he can't stand that guy. He's a jerk, you know. And I remember going home. I, and my mom, she remembered. I went home. I was mad. I'm like, man, jerk transferring. I can't wait to give him an elbow in practice, you know. And um, long story short, Chad became like one of my best friends. And uh, ended up just loving the guy. And became such a close friend. Literally, I'm not kidding, it was like this. We would be in our living room at home watching TV, our whole family, and we'd hear someone in the kitchen, in the refrigerator. And Chad would walk in with a plate of food and a drink and sit down and we're like, hey, what's up, man? He's like, hey. I mean, that's what, I mean, we, that close, his dad, I mean, I'm 17 years old. I remember one time, I don't even remember, I needed a car for some reason. His dad, they had two BMWs. And I was at his house, and I'm like, oh, I need to go. And his dad's like, here, just take my car. And I'm like, oh, 
<laughs> like, and, I mean, and it was awesome. And, and it was back in the day of the big bag phones, uh, you know, and he, they had one of those in there. So I felt really cool. I, I think I even pulled up to a red light and like, you know, was holding the phone by my ear <laughs> just to look cool, you know. But, uh, but anyways, he, he became I, one of my best friends. And I remember when he left for college, like we were in tears and kind of laughing. I remember saying, man, I remember, remember when, like, when we hated each other, we were kind of laughed like, yeah. And, uh, and uh, man, I was wrong. I just got it wrong about who he was, the type of guy he was, his character, friendship. And um, that's the point here Peter's making in, in his sermon in Acts 3. He's like, you guys, you got it wrong. You have completely missed who Jesus is. You've misjudged him. You've drawn wrong conclusions about him. You've responded wrongly about him. You chose poorly when it came to him. And this is the challenge that's there for us. I want to unpack that here a little bit in this sermon. I do want to point this out just because I think this is so significant. These themes, you're going to hear these. You're probably going to get tired of this. But Operating in the background of Acts are these ongoing themes that we're introduced to in Acts 1 and 2 as far as characteristics of the church. And, and you see these playing out here. Again, the care for people. This is a hallmark of the early church. The fact that Peter and John, here are the two pillars, right? These are the great apostles on their way to prayer meeting. And they stop and they're not too high and mighty to care for a lame man. A characteristic of the early church, caring for people. That's what the early church did. This is intentional language by, by uh, Luke. And you look in Acts chapter 2, verse 43. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We talked about all the things that were going on. And they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and the prayers. And, and it said, and, and signs and wonders were committed by the apostles. And, and people were in wonder and amazement. And so when you get here to, to Acts 3, you see the terminology in verses 10 and 11. You see that playing out, that the people here are, are full of wonder, that they're utterly astounded at the healing of, of the lame man. Again, Luke tracing these themes out for us. And again, that, that being devoted to prayer in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Don't miss the, the, what seems like a small detail that Luke really could have skipped over at the beginning of chapter 3. Peter and John were on their way to pray. Again, this is a characteristic of the early church. They were going to prayer meeting. So don't miss the threads. And I want to point this out too. I think this is significant. You know what the location? Luke is, is careful to point out the location of this sermon. So, uh, Solomon's portico. Solomon's portico. If you look back in John chapter 10, verses 22 to 39, Jesus preached in Solomon's portico, and they tried to kill him. They responded to Jesus' sermon by trying to stone him. I love that Luke makes that connection. Because again, going back, remember our introduction to Acts? This is about the ministry of Jesus being continued. Jesus is still being proclaimed in Solomon's portico. A crucifixion, an attempted stoning, did not stop the message of Jesus in Solomon's portico. Or anywhere else for that matter. That's a significant detail. I love that. Right? So you have these threads and I want to keep those before you because they're operating in the background of everything that unfolds in the book of Acts. So here's, here's Peter's message. Number one, gospel proclamation is about seizing and creating opportunity. 
Right? So again, last week, we, we read and we heard about the healing of the lame man. What follows in verses 11 through 26, and then even on into chapter 4, is the result of that miraculous healing. It led to an opportunity to present Jesus Christ. So right away, there's an application point that we must consider. Opportunities to present Christ come up all the time. And I want you to consider the question, how many opportunities have I missed to share Christ? I, I miss them. All right, for every one success story I have, I've probably missed about 10 of them. Usually, those opportunities are wasted because I'm too lazy, too self-centered, too busy. For me, honestly, probably one of the biggest things I struggle with is I can be really selfish with my time. I don't want to take the time to stop and share. Because that could be a long conversation, and I got places to be. I got stuff to do. And you do the same thing. Peter here is a great model for us. He seizes the opportunity before him to present the gospel. He pursued an open door for gospel proclamation. So when I want to ask you the question this morning, do you take initiative to create or pursue open doors for the gospel? Again, I, I, in this experience, I know I've talked about this a couple times, and it's just so fresh in my mind, our experience with, with, with Marco. I'm so grateful for my wife pushing on this one. Having him over to the house on a Sunday afternoon, like, you know what I want to do on Sunday afternoon? I want to go home and take a nap. That's what I do. I love that. And like, uh, let's have this guy over. That means I'm going to have to talk. I wouldn't trade that for anything. And then have him over. Right, and it's so easy, you know, we're talking about Brazil and the commonalities there, we're talking about soccer, we're talking about the World Cup, and in the back of my mind, it's like, Craig, get to the gospel. Get to the gospel. Right, and always, no, no matter how long we've been, Chris, sometimes that's always like the hardest kind of line to step over, to go from this stuff to the gospel. But the opportunity was there, and I knew, I knew we couldn't let this guy out of the house without talking about Jesus. And I did. Thankful again. I've missed so many other opportunities, but but man, look around. Opportunities to present the gospel come up all over the place. I'm sure you've been aware of, um, you know, maybe not, but uh, what's going on in, in several universities now around the around the country, uh, starting in Asbury down in, in Kentucky, and the, these these revival services that have, have broken out, and and people have asked me, you know, what do you think about that? I'm like, hey, I. It's not my call whether that's, people are praying and calling out to God. That, that's a pretty good thing. And uh, if, if whatever it is, God, God will sort that out. I'm just thankful that this is happening. And, and there's news that it's, uh, you know, spread to Lee University. And then we got word last Monday from my daughter that right in the middle of Dr. White's sermon at Cedarville that, that students started coming up and it, broke, it ended up in a chapel service that lasted the rest of the day. And, and I read an article at Samford University down in Birmingham where uh, Joe Schellenberg is. Uh, same thing. And I just heard uh, someone t- t- Friday at, at Cornerstone. It sounded like something similar happened there at Cornerstone, which is, that's awesome. And, 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 and all these places, you're seeing a move of God. And I know that what happened at, at Cedarville is, is uh, they, they told them, hey, listen, this is happening. There was a shooting at Michigan State this week. I mean, there's a lot of hurt going on in college campuses. Why don't we go? So Wednesday night, several hundred students went out. My, Krista went to Ohio State with a bunch of students sharing the gospel in the streets on High Street, the bar district, and, and inviting them to a worship service at a church. And I know a group went to Michigan State. Um, and they drove up to Michigan State to, to just just to talk to people, and, and, right, and it's, like, here it is. Here's an opportunity, a move of God, a shooting. Let's, let's go talk to people while people are thinking about life and death. Right? That, that's that's kind of what's happening here. Where are the opportunities? Do I let them slip? Do I let them go by? Or it's like, like here's an opportunity for the gospel. 
Peter created an opportunity here by reaching out and meeting a physical need of this lame man. Meeting needs and gospel proclamation are often linked, right? Balance and perspective is the key. You know, you never want to be a church that's only doing social work and never proclaiming the gospel. That, that, t- that takes the meaning out of the work. But, but, but we, we want to do both. We, James said faith and works, they go together. So we want to use opportunities, create opportunities, and then we want to walk through and proclaim the gospel. Um, that's what they do. Yeah, you know, we, our, our relationship with Olivia's gift, I, I think you, you know, probably many of you have heard t- tell you the story before. Uh, we were over there with our youth group not too long ago, and, and one of the moms, a different religious background than, than us, and, and her son wasn't allowed to come to our services, but we were over there, and she looked at me, and she was great. She's from New York, you know, she has a New York accent, and she says, hey, listen, listen, you know, my, I didn't let my kid go to the church because the stuff you teach there is different than what we grew up with, you know? And she goes, but, but here's what I know. I've watched you, and you love my kid. You love my kid, so I'm okay. And, I, and I'm sweating because I knew that night we were reading Luke 2 and what we were talking about. I'm like, yeah, we're going to go with the gospel. But, but there it was, meeting people's needs, presented opportunities for the gospel, and our students took advantage of that. That's what Peter teaches us here. He sees the opportunity. What did he say? How did he seize it? Well, here's the thing right here. Jesus. This is what Peter did with his opportunity. He presented Jesus. Jesus is the point of the healing miracle in Acts 3. Right? Peter says, why do you guys wonder? Why do you wonder about this? And he says there, um, Men of Israel, why do you wonder, why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Right, here's the takeaway from this. It's never about me. It's never about me. Never point to me. Never point to ourselves. Never point even to a church. I think Forest Hills Baptist is one of the, one of the great church, greatest church families there is to be a part of. But if I ever elevate Forest Hills Baptist Church above the person of Jesus Christ, I've missed the points. We're not going to point to our programs. We're not going to point to, we point to Jesus Christ. We're not going to point to a person, whether it's a Jeff or Craig, whoever stands up in this pulpit. We don't point to people. Peter, the great apostle, says, guys, this isn't me. It's about Jesus Christ. Miracles throughout the book of Acts signal the power of Jesus and affirm the truth and triumph of his resurrection. Right? The miracles in the book of Acts are all about validating the resurrection and pointing to the triumph of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Peter takes no credit at all. He states this was done by the power of the name of Jesus. And here's the other thing too. Sometimes we think, man, if God just did miracles among us, People would just be attracted, you know, and, and sometimes even in some corners of Christianity, it's like, yeah, we, we wish there were miracles because, man, it's cool to see and it makes us feel good. And, but, but you know here that the, the miracle needed an explanation. The miracle in and of itself was not sufficient. Peter has to explain the miracle and the significance of it. Yeah, that's the point. We don't seek miracles just for the point, like, oh, it's not miracles. That'd be, wouldn't that be cool to see? Well, yeah, it would. But it's always about the gospel, it's always about Jesus Christ. John Stott says in this passage, about this passage, the power was Christ, the hand was Peter's. Peter was just a vessel. 
I think the other thing that speaks to that even in Christianity, um, it reflects the world, the way our world operates. You know, we have celebrity culture in our world. Well, we also have a Christian celebrity culture. And sometimes we get so taken by people. And these are good people. I'm so thankful for, you know, I get a list of the names, the, the John Pipers and the, uh, the Tim Kellers and the John MacArthur's and the, the David Platts and the Chris Tomlins and Phil Wickham's. And all. You know, these are good people, and I pray for them. And I, they're, and they're, but if I ever elevate them to a place above Jesus Christ, like that's, whoa, that's way out of bounds. I never make it about a person. The only Christian celebrity is Jesus Christ. And that's where I must point people. I remember Alistair Begg. I don't know if you've uh, heard Alistair Begg. He's a pastor of a big church in Cleveland. And I can never remember Irish or Scottish. Thank you. Because you never want to assign the one. Because, so Scottish. So if I'm wrong, Alistair, if you're watching. No, he's not. Trust me. Uh, <laughs> so, but I remember one time he's speaking at the seminary when I was there. And, and in this great Irish brogue, he was talking about a lot of people wanted to be interns at, at his church there in Cleveland. And he would talk about this, and I just remember him saying, like, I'm so sick and tired of getting these applications, people talking about how great they are, and all their accomplishments, and he says, just once, I want to get one of those, that says, I'm just an old clay pot, saved by grace, I am what I am by Jesus, so that's what I put on my resume, I don't have a resume, I'm just saying, if I ever did, that's what I would put, you know, but, no, but at the point, right, don't make it about people, not about how great I am, about my accomplishments, about Jesus. Back to the topic of miracles here just for a second too. Right? Miracles today, I don't see them as, as being normative or something that we seek after in order to affirm our gospel proclamation. Okay? Uh, I believe we have the powerful word of God, the authoritative powerful word of God. I believe that we have the powerful spirit working at people's, in people's lives. Okay? And I think that that first and foremost is what our responsibility is to proclaim. Let this deal uh, with people. That said, I do believe God still acts in miraculous ways around the world. I'm not going to put him in a box. Often I believe he does this to draw people's attention to himself. So again, I'm not going to put God in a box or dictate to him how he should act, but I'm not going to demand or expect miracles. But here's what we do. We faithfully proclaim the gospel And we pray that as we do it, that God will do whatever it takes to draw people to himself. So as I proclaim, I will ask him to powerfully work. And whatever he does, I will use it to point people to him. So whether it's simply a good work, or my church family doing something generous for us, or our response to trials, or, or you know, for our, you know, our neighbor's response to uh, us adopting a little boy, or if it's something miraculous, whatever it is, I am going to use that to point people back to Jesus. And here's the thing, as we live out the gospel, as we follow Jesus Christ, that will in and of itself be a powerful proclamation of the gospel. Note, note Paul's words here to the Thessalonian church. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, 
whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivered us from the wrath that is to come. I love that. Paul's saying, your response to the gospel, you became imitators of Jesus Christ. And that is what validated the gospel message. That is what pointed people to Jesus. So that's what we do. Right? So we should actively engage the world and just live out our faith. And whatever God chooses to do, whatever attention that creates, I'm going to use it to point people to Jesus. So I'm very aware of this when I'm in the halls over at Meadowbrook Elementary School where we are with, with Tyler and, and the special needs classroom and everything. Like, we're aware of our testimony. And we're going to talk and, and talk to teachers and respect them in a way and, and, and talk about working with them um, uh, with, for Tyler in such a way that, you know, so they, they look at us and they say, man, there, there's... You guys aren't, there, a lot of parents aren't like you guys. And, you know, and I'm quick to say, listen, I'm, <laughs> no, no, I'm not a perfect parent, okay? Uh, but we're just trying to live out our faith. I, I, I love Christ, and I just try to obey and live for Christ. And just, and just point to Jesus in that way. There's nothing miraculous there, but I'm just taking the opportunity to talk about Jesus Christ. I can live my life. You can live your life in such a way that God's power and God's truth can't be denied. We can do that. I remember a conversation, and again, for every one of these opportunities that I've succeeded in, I've, 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 I've wasted so many. You know. But there's been a few wins. I remember a conversation with my neighbor Joni, diagonal from us, when we were adopting Tyler, and she's like, man, it's so great that you guys are adopting this little boy. And, and you know, I felt like saying with Peter, hey, hey, look, what do you think? It's my own piety. It's, <laughs> I didn't want to do this at first. You know? I said, here's, here's why we adopted that little boy. I said, I'm adopted. Not by Jack and Diane Perry, but I said, God has adopted me. I wasn't worthy of that. I didn't deserve that. God, God adopted me. And, and I used Tyler's adoption as an opportunity to share the gospel with, with Joni. And my other neighbor right across, Brian, diagonal the other way and I don't remember what was going on at the time it was in context of Zach's diabetes and a bunch of other stuff and he just said man you're, you, you and Kathy your faith must be real because I, I just can't imagine going through all that and having the attitude that you had and I just remember saying Brian it's not me it's not me it's just Christ it's God giving us what we need and, and just took the opportunity to point people to Christ you know, those are just common things I, I thought of Dan and Kelly Cook when I was thinking about this. You know, Kelly, you know her story, died of leukemia. And, and you know, if God would have stepped in, and he could have and miraculously healed Kelly, it would have pointed to Jesus, and it would have been a great testimony. Look, look, look. but God didn't need the miracle for the gospel to be presented, and Dan and Kelly didn't need it. Because right? you, you heard Dan share, right? Kelly did die. But in the course of that, they lived their life in such a way, with such joy and, and meaning and purpose and such confidence in the face of death that you heard Dan say when, when she died, weeks later, they're getting letters and notes from people at these hospitals just saying, I want you to know you made a difference, you made an impact. What is that? It's just people taking the opportunity that's in front of them and pointing to Jesus. So whether there's a miracle or whether it's, it's just living it out, we all need to seize those opportunities that God gives us all the time just to point to Jesus, Right? So how did Peter point to Jesus? Well, he made sure they understood this about Jesus. Jesus is glorified and validated by God himself. Okay? What you're going to see Peter do here in his message is this. He's presenting who Jesus is. 
And what he's wanting to do is create a tension with these people. This is who Jesus is. This is how you interpreted Jesus to be. And there's a problem because there's a big disconnect, right? And I think that could still be true of us. Some of you sitting out here today, even, again, those of us who have been saved for a long time, we could still get Jesus wrong. And we have to go back to be reminded, this is who Jesus is. And if there's ways where you're misinterpreting Jesus or reading Jesus wrong, you need to adjust to who God says Jesus is and bow the knee to him. And that's what Peter does here in his sermon. He makes these significant assertions about Jesus. And this is what it always comes back to ultimately, isn't it? What have you done with Jesus? He wants them to know who they have messed with. And he makes sure they know it in no uncertain terms. Look at the, the, the emphasis here. Oftentimes in Scripture, you, you see this statement that summarizes the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Peter is, is taking jab after jab after jab here. He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers. Four times. This is the ultimate name drop, <laughs> by the way, right? The ultimate name drop. Just so we're clear on who validated Jesus, this is Yahweh. This is I am. I am has validated Jesus. You view Jesus differently. Understand who you're messing with. Right? He goes on. God, Yahweh, has glorified his servants. He's glorified his servants. When you use that terminology, this is Old Testament terminology, when you use that terminology, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of your fathers, and then attach the word servant to it, in the Jewish mind, they knew exactly who Peter was talking about. Right? Look at this in Isaiah 52. Their minds would go back naturally Isaiah 52, 13. One other place in the prophetic word where the terms servant and exaltation are together and it's here in Isaiah 52, 13. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Servant and exalted. They hear him refer to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and then say this is God's servant. They know precisely what he's doing. He is linking back. This is the Messiah. This is the prophesied one. Your great and revered prophet Isaiah, this is the one he was talking about. Peter is piling on. You, you ever like been on the receiving end of that? Like, and another thing, and another thing, and another thing. Like this is what he's doing. You go on to the end of this path, we'll get there next week. He, he, then, he then brings up Moses. Like, like He's using them as a punching background. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the servant from Isaiah, the one Moses. I mean, you don't get any bigger names in, in Israel than, than Isaiah and Moses, right? And Yahweh. And he's like, yeah, this is, this is, this is his guy. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. You guys got it wrong. You guys got it wrong. Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Jesus is the promised Messiah, right? Peter's being very confrontational here about the identity of Jesus. And he basically says to him this, but you got it wrong. You got it wrong, and therefore you got everything wrong. It's like someone, you know, with 
You know, someone, you ever been in another where someone comes and tells you, like, you need to do this, this, and this, and you're like, like, who are you? And they're like, oh, no, it's not me. Like, the boss, and you're like, oh, oh, <laughs> sorry. I, right? All of a sudden, there's power to, like, that's what Peter's doing here. They're like, and Peter's like, no, 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 no. Oh, <laughs> God's servant. But you guys, you delivered over Jesus, and you denied him in the presence of Pontius Pilate. Listen to their words from the gospel narratives. John 19, it was about the sixth hour, Pilate said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they, the crowd in Jerusalem, cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. Matthew 27, Matthew's account, Pilate said to them, What shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They said, Let him be crucified. He said, Why? What evil has he done? But this, by the way, is an honest question. Pilate wasn't playing a part here. Pilate was, Pilate was going like, he's not, he's not guilty. Why should I kill him? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Luke 23, Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee, even to this place. Luke 23, 14 through 16, Pilate said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I didn't find any fault in him. He's not guilty of any of the charges you brought against him. Herod didn't find anything wrong with him either. And he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish him and release him. Luke 23, 20 through 23, Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. Pilate wanted to let Jesus go. They kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I found in him no guilt deserving of death. I will therefore punish and release him. They were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. And as if that wasn't bad enough, then Pilate's wife speaks up, right? And guys, like, when, when we search something, we, but when our wives step in and go, no, you're wrong, you're like, <laughs> and then we know it, it you know. And, and even Pilate's wife. Besides this, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, and she says, have nothing to do with this righteous man. Three times the Roman pagan governor tried to let Jesus go, and the children of the prophets, the people of God, shouted that down and rejected that. Wow. Wow. They completely denied Jesus before Pilate. So here's the thing, right? There's a lot of irony here. The people of God rejecting Jesus. But before we're too hard on the people in Jerusalem that day, I want to ask you this question. In what ways do you deny Jesus? In whose presence... Do you cower and shut your mouth about Jesus? And it happens. Even Peter. Peter denied Jesus before a servant girl. 
Peter the fisherman, the, huff, the rough, hardened fisherman, a little servant girl says, you knew it? No, I didn't know him. Who is so much more important and powerful than Jesus in your world that when they're around, you go silent about Jesus and deny his name? Who is it? Who is it that is so powerful and influential in your world that you do not speak about Jesus? Consider the irony in that. And I get it. It's hard. Probably one of the places I feel it the most is, is when I'm in the press box at Forest Hills. You guys who've been up there with me, you know, right? Rusty Terry. I mean, it can be, you know, we're up there sometimes. You got these, like, local t- television guys from Fox 17, the sports guys, and and. And you got these football coaches and, and, and press people, and you got important people from the community up there. And then they're like, oh, what do you do? <laughs> Pastor. <laughs> and I feel that. And it's hard, and it's like sitting there, and it's like, oh, man, how do I bridge the gap and talk to Nick about the gospel? And, I, you know, other people who've been up there, and, it's, and I've failed sometimes, so many times. Cause so it's scary. I get that. You walk away going, why am I afraid of them? Why am I afraid of that? Why am I embarrassed about Jesus before those people? Why do I deny him? You deny it again. He's just reminding the holy and righteous one. This is Old Testament terminology. Again, this is the servant of Yahweh. The holy one, the righteous one. Very clear Old Testament designations about who Jesus is. And you traded him. You traded him for a murderer, right? John 18, 40, they cried out again, not this man, not Jesus, give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. They chose a robber over Jesus. But again, here's the question. What do you trade Jesus for? We trade Jesus a lot. What do you give Jesus up for? In general terms, I know for me, I, I probably most often trade Jesus for myself, for my own desires, my own ease, my own advancement. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So when I don't keep his commandments, I am trading him for whatever object I am pursuing in my sin. What do you trade Jesus for? What did you trade Jesus for this week? When you clicked on that, that, that image on the internet, guys, you're trading Jesus for your own personal pleasure. When you give in to your anger and you let your family have it, you're trading Jesus in the way of Christ for your own personal feeling of, of whatever it is that's causing that. When I'm selfish with my time, when I don't love the least of these, I'm trading what Jesus is for what I want. We trade him all the time. What do we trade Jesus for? And we'll end with this one today. Tom, if you want to come up and get ready. And you killed him. You killed him. We'll start with this one next week, but you killed him. What does that even mean? You're like, well, that one doesn't apply at least because I'm not killing Jesus. I don't know. I'm not so sure. Hebrews 6.6. 6, we won't turn there right now, but the writer to the Hebrews graphically portrays the ongoing rejection of Jesus in his ways, and this is how he terms Rejecting Jesus. He says, when you do that, you're crucifying him again and holding him up for content. So when I continue in sin, I reject Christ. And I possess the same spirit 
and perspective that the Jews did that day in Jerusalem. So in a sense, when I adopt the spirit of rejection of Jesus and his commands, I'm possessing the spirit that killed him. The author of life whom God raised from the dead. Some of you may have caught the title. <laughs> You've chosen poorly. My Indiana Jones friends out there, right? The, the last crusade, and right there, looking for the Holy Grail. Which again, this is all imaginary, right? But if you know the story, they go to this room, and there's this, this, this crusader who's guarded the Grail for years and years, and there's these series of, of Grails there. And, and if you make it that far, as only Indiana Jones can, <laughs> then you're given a choice. And if you pick the cup of Jesus, then you, then you get to live forever and get all these blessings. And the whole point of it is this guy here, he, he looks at it and he, he says, oh, Jesus was a king. And he, was, and he picks the most ornate, decorated cup that there is. And, and he fills it with water and he drinks it and he dies. And the guard there says, you have chosen poorly you did not interpret correctly who jesus is and indiana jones looks and he's like oh jesus was a poor carpenter he was this and he picks the ugliest broken cup and and that's the right one he says you've chosen wisely all came down to one thing they both reasoned about jesus one of them reasoned incredibly wrong and it cost him his life and one of them reasoned the right way and he lived and that's what peter's saying if you view Jesus wrongly, you're going to die. View him rightly. Bow the knee to him. Make this prayer your prayer as we leave here today. We'll pick up with this next week.